I know Dave Myers from uh, Gospel Boot Camp. We participated in three years ago at Spanish River Church in Boca Raton. And uh, immediately at that time, we were, we were keen on each other. That's an Aussie word there. We were keen. Um, and uh, God knit our hearts together in, in a similar mind of a passion for the gospel, a passion for people, and really a passion for God's church globally. And uh, if you prick this man, he bleeds gospel. He loves the Lord Jesus. He loves his church. He loves his family. He spent a few extra days with us, which is a big deal because that meant four days, five days, his family doesn't get to see him. Uh, But he loves the church here in Orlando so much that he wanted to give this time to you. And Dave, I'm incredibly grateful. So why don't you come up here and proclaim the word of God for us? Would you give him a round of applause, please? Thank you. Amen. Well, good morning, Crosspoint. What a privilege it is to be here with you this morning. Uh, thanks to Pastor Ryan and to his wife, Carrie, and the three amazing kids. Uh, love you guys. Love being hosted by you and love what God is doing through you here in this church and in this city. Uh, so encouraged by uh, the people I've been able to meet over the last couple of days uh, and get to know this city a little bit and to pray for this city. Um, a little bit more of my biography, I come from Down Under, the uh, opposite side of the, um, the universe. Uh, it's about 2am in the morning where I am from, uh, so my family are all asleep. Here's a photo of my family. Uh, that's me, the good looking one. Uh, that's my wife Rowena, the even better looking one. Good save, Dave. Uh, three kids, Sam, he's nine, Tom, he's seven, Beth, she's four going on 14. Uh, that is my family, and we live in a place called Brisbane. Who's heard of Brisbane? This is a photo of Brisbane. It's normally pretty sunny, but I decided to give a cloudy photo. It's a river city with a massive river running through the middle of it. Uh, Almost 3 million people and less than 10% went to a church somewhere in the last month in our city. Massive needs for Jesus to be made known. And so three years ago, um, we moved to Brisbane from uh, Melbourne. We're originally from Sydney uh, uh, to plant a church called City on a Hill. Uh, This is a photo of our church meeting in a uh, downtown movie theatre. By God's grace, we've seen um, a lot of people become Christian uh, in the last two years since we launched. And we've seen a lot of people awaken to the gospel, uh, refreshed in the good news of Jesus as we've sought to know him and make him known through our church. Uh, It is a privilege to be here. It's a privilege to be on the same team from the opposite sides of the planet, serving the same Lord. So why don't we pray uh, that that same Lord would be at work among us today as he has been doing over the last 24 hours. That was a spectacular beginning, Josiah, with uh, that quote at the start and the way that God's people have been gathering all across the world over the last 24 hours. And we have that privilege right now of sitting under the word we've just heard. So would you pray that God would work powerfully among us? Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have gathered us together today. Father, we thank you that you have, gathered, you have been gathering a people for yourself all across the last 24 hours. And Father, our prayer right now in this moment is that you would give us faith to receive your word. And Father, that by the power and the illumination of your Holy Spirit, you would give us understanding to know what it means And Father, we pray that you'd give us the will and the desire to put it into practice. And Father, we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Well, on October the 24th, 2016, uh, in the early hours of the morning, a car smashed through the awning of a local fish and chip shop in Brisbane, uh, in the suburb next door to the one that I live in. Here's a photo of uh, a local resident. His name is Daniel McConnell. Uh, He woke up in the middle of the night and he jumped straight into action. He chased down the the man that had almost destroyed his mate's mum's shop. Uh, Now, later that morning, he was interviewed on national television, and the video, within six hours of it being on TV, no one watches TV, right? But we watch the videos later on when they're shared online. Within six hours, that video had gone viral all across Australia, and I trust even some people outside of Australia may well have seen that video. He was a real Aussie hero. You ready for some dialogue, a direct quote from this interview that you can see on the screen? You ready for some of that? Okay, this is in my bed. This isn't me pretending. This is actually the voice. This is actually my real voice right now. Uh, And the voice that I'm about to do is, is kind of how this bloke, Daniel McConnell, spoke. He's like this. So I jumped out of bed, and all I had on was me undies, and I, I walked out the front, and, and, and I seen the car smashed, and I've seen the bloke walking back to the car, and, and, I, and so I've walked outside, and I've said, what are you doing, mate? Uh, well, you can't believe in the scene. And he goes, don't be a hero, mate. And I said, I'm not trying to be a hero, and the police, but the police are coming. And so... I started chasing him up the road and then he went down a side street and the police were coming and I flashed him and then sent him off in the right direction. But mate, all I had on were me jocks. And I was, I was chasing him up the street and I'm just like, mate. It was hilarious. <laughs> Look it up. And the video of that interview, it went viral. And I can remember my Facebook feed that day was kind of lit up with this video shared time upon time. And there's something about like a viral video, right? There's something about a viral video that captures our imagination. Maybe it's funny. Maybe it's embarrassing. Maybe it's heart-wrenching and it's sad. Maybe it's bizarre. For whatever reason, though, once we've been captivated by these videos, we can't help but share them on. We, we, We view, we click share because we want other people to enjoy it like we did, to be moved like we were moved. It feels like the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts is a little bit like that. Jesus is trending. The message of his resurrection is going viral. Someone hears it, they pass it on. Someone hears it, they pass it on. They pass it on. They pass it on. It's spreading and spreading throughout the first century. The more that people hear it, the more that people are sharing it. Maybe, um, maybe this is your first time here in this church. If so, I'm so glad that you are here. Crosspoint is a fantastic church where you will hear that viral message of Jesus proclaimed week after week after week. Or, or perhaps you're here this week and you've been away for a little while and you've kind of missed the last few weeks of the Acts teaching series. So let me bring you up to speed uh, over the last few chapters. Here's the story so far. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus commissioned his disciples and he said to them that they'll receive the Holy Spirit and that they will be 
Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then by Acts chapter 2, Jesus, who makes promises and always keeps his promises, the Holy Spirit comes, and then boom, the apostles, only days earlier, they who were afraid and ashamed, boldly proclaim, without fear, without shame, the message of Jesus Christ. Thousands hear about Jesus, and thousands become Christian and start following Jesus. And so then from Acts 2 onwards, we see sermons are preached, the gospel is made known, miracles are performed, lives are transformed, the community gathers and they're radically transformed by this good news of Jesus. Christ continues to go viral. In Acts chapter 4, though, we see that opposition to the message of Jesus begins to increase. Peter and John, two of the key disciples, key apostles on Jesus' team, are told to stop talking about Jesus, but they're like, sorry, not sorry. We, we, we just can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard in Jesus. And so where we land in Acts chapter 5, the opposition is only intensifying. And perhaps, and perhaps even as you heard Pastor Ryan read it out before, perhaps that feels like our cultural moment. It seems to be in Western society that our world is becoming increasingly hostile to Christ and his message. That's, that certainly feels the case in my city, in my country, and I trust that Many people, and, and I know many of the conversations that are going on amongst Christians in the United States and here in Orlando of that increasingly differentness of Christianity, that, that this nation, this city increasingly becomes more and more post-Christian, that even simply proclaiming the message of Christ can get you into hot water, can get you into all sorts of trouble. And so the question I want us to consider this morning is, well, how do we respond in the face of opposition? If you're taking notes, that'd be a good question to write down. How do we respond in the face of opposition? To answer that question, we're going to see how Jesus' first followers responded in the midst of increasing waves of opposition. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, keep your Bible out. If you wanted a Bible, uh, you can grab one of the Bibles from the table up the back. Uh, if you uh, keep it open to Acts chapter 5, we're going to kind of reread that story and immerse ourselves in it. But I guess there's two big things I want you to see this morning, and they are two tasks to keep on doing, two tasks to continue in regardless of the opposition you face, regardless of the criticism that you receive as a follower of Jesus. How do we respond in the face of opposition? Well, the first task, number one, is to keep witnessing. Number one, keep witnessing. The first followers of Jesus have been given the task of being witnesses to Jesus. And we see from their example that even when the pressure comes, they keep witnessing. They continue to share the message of what they saw and heard. They, they continue to make known the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let's check it out, Acts chapter 5, beginning verse 17. It says this, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, 
that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. It's interesting, we'll just stop there for a moment. It's interesting to note the religious folks, what was their main issue? Well, first, their name is Sadducee. You know, that that means they're sad, you see. Anyway, good jokes, Dave, good jokes. Uh, They're sad, but they're more than just sad, They're, they're jealous. You see, the apostles are increasing in their power. They're increasing in their popularity. And so the religious establishment want to stop this train. They want to stop this message that is going viral. Will prison stop them, though? No way. Have a look at verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go. And stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they'd heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Let me be real with you for a moment. Some real talk. My gut instinct at this point. If, if, I, if I've been chucked in prison. If I'm in that situation, I'm in that moment. My inclination is to run. I'm getting out of here. I'm getting as far away from the prison as possible. I'm heading to the hills. I'm going to hide in a cave. I'm going to kind of wait up there until this all calms down. Not for the apostles, though. What do they do? They keep on witnessing. And I love that phrase that they receive from the angel. The angel says, go and tell the people all the words of this life. They've got a message. They've got something good to pass on. They've got a message that brings life. To pass on. And they're not going to stop sharing it. They can't stop. They won't stop. You know, this is actually built into their name, the apostles. If you're new to Jesus and Christianity and all this religious stuff, apostles is a word you've probably heard, but maybe you don't know what it actually means. Apostles, they were the first followers of Jesus. They were the first leaders of the church. The word apostle literally means sent one. It's like a messenger. Here is a message. I am sending you. It's a message that is sent through them. And so they've been given this message. Their whole name as apostles of Christ is that they will keep on preaching. They will keep on witnessing. And so what's going to happen now that the, what's going to happen when the the officials find out that they've been let out of prison and they've continued to teach and preach about Jesus? Well, check it out. It continues in verse 21. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. These are kind of big deal people, you know? All the councillors, all the senate, all all, all these important religious establishment people, the, the heavies, They're all in town and they all get together. Verse 22, then the officers came, uh, but when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. All the apostles have escaped. Heads are about to roll uh, as, an, as, a, as an inquest, as an investigation is kind of, whoa, hang on, what happened to them and who, who let them out? But then someone came, verse 25, and told them, look, 
the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. They hadn't gone far away, far away at all. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. This is a really interesting situation, right? It's kind of a, it's, it's a knife edge, a tenuous situation. The, the apostles are gaining more and more and more popularity and more and more momentum. And so it's not let's be heavy handed in bringing them in because people are watching. People have got their dashboard cams on, right? People are able to see the way that they treat these apparent heroes who are proclaiming this message. And so verse 27, when they had them brought, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. We read that two weeks ago, back in chapter four, we we saw that they were strictly charged to stop teaching and preaching in the name of Christ Jesus. They'd been told stop and they're like, can't stop, won't stop. They keep on witnessing. And so here's the response from Peter and the apostles, verse 29. Verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. That's worth underlining for a moment, right? That's a significant principle. Elsewhere in scripture, we read of the command to obey governing authorities that God has placed over us. You think this should be a 45 mile an hour section of road and it's 35 miles an hour? Well, you do the 35 miles an hour. It doesn't matter what you think about the suitable speed limit. The governing authority that God has put above you has, has, has set that speed limit and God says, obey. Submit yourself to the governing authorities. But here's the one exception. I think in Scripture, and we get a few examples of this, where we must uh, disobey civil authorities. What's that one exception? It's when we're required to disobey God. Obedience to God matters more than life itself. Obedience to God matters more than obedience to the governing authorities. And so these apostles, they are on a mission from God, which means they will continue to obey the God who has given them this mission. They will continue to obey the command to make Jesus known. They will continue to obey Jesus who has called them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, let me be real for a moment. In this type of situation, my my great temptation would be to be more worried about what people think of me rather than what God thinks of me. As you think about your, your Monday to Friday, Sunday today, tomorrow is Monday, as you think about going back to work, as you think about the situations that you find yourself in within the workplace, as you think about perhaps what it looks like to have your allegiance to God and your allegiance to your employer, or what it looks like to do things that you will be seen by people to look good or do things to be seen by God to look good. The reality is our great temptation, I'm guessing you're just like me, is to be worried more about the thoughts and concerns of man than we are the thoughts and concerns of God. 
Uh, one author, John Stott, he said uh, this about the response that we'll continue to read in a moment from Acts chapter 5. He says this, the apostles' response took the form of a mini-sermon, for their concern was still not to defend themselves, but to uplift Christ. What a remarkable attitude. Uh, in my marriage, one of the big things I've been learning this year is how easily I can be defensive. Dave, you've been defensive. No, I'm not. The apostles, they are not interested in being defensive. They want to honour Jesus Christ. And so what do the disciples do? They keep witnessing. They keep preaching the gospel, even in this moment before the council. It's not just out and about in the temple, out and about in the streets that they're making Jesus known. They make the most of this opportunity here before all these religious heavyweights. And so they, they keep preaching the gospel, they keep witnessing to the gospel. Again, you might be fairly new to Christianity and you've, uh, we've, we've heard the word gospel, right? But it's not really a word we hear outside of the church. The word gospel is a fairly simple word, it just means good news. It's kind of breaking news, it's, it's momentous news, it's we interrupt this program news. Like, listen up and, and hear this good news. And so when Christians talk about the gospel, we're talking about the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ. And so I'm aware that at any time, in any church, there are people who don't necessarily yet believe the gospel. For some of you, that's understandable, because you're new to Christianity. You've only just begun investigating Jesus. There was perhaps something in one of your Christian friends that attracted you to investigate Jesus. Maybe they've shared some things about Jesus, and so you don't fully understand and fully believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ yet. That is so good that you're here. Is a safe space and a safe place to investigate the claims of Christ. But my guess is there's others that are here today and, and the reality is you've been around this stuff your whole life. You've heard bits of the gospel your whole life. You may even claim to know the gospel, but the reality is you don't actually believe it. And so verse 30, 31 and 32 is a gift to every single one of us this morning. It's a gift to you this morning if you're just starting to consider Jesus. And it's a gift to you this morning if you've known about Jesus for as long as you can remember. We all need this today. So I want to encourage you to listen up as we kind of dig a little bit deeper in verse 30 to 32 and, and, and get a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, here's, here's the thing about the gospel. Here's the thing about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not just the way that you come into the kingdom of God. You were an unbeliever, you heard the gospel, you're now a believer, now you move on to something else. No, no, no. The gospel is the way you come in and the gospel is the way you continue. The, the, the gospel is the way that you are saved by God in Christ Jesus, but it's the way that you ongoingly are transformed. And so if, if Pastor Ryan hops, hops up here week after week and you go, oh, he talked about the gospel last week. Good! Christian, brother, sister, you need to hear it again and again and again. We need to keep the gospel on repeat. And the book of Acts is a gift to your church as you continue to hear the gospel and see the gospel on repeat week by week. And so there's a three-point gospel summary that I, in verse 30 to 32 that I've, uh, I like alliteration. And so um, I've got three points for you. The three points are cross, crown, commission. They all start with C. 
Awesome. Cross, crown, commission. Have a look at, uh, for the first one, cross. Have a look at verse number 30. It says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. No shame, no fear. Let's go get him. They keep on witnessing as they point to and proclaim the cross of Christ. The cross, new to Christianity, you need to hear this. The cross is central to Christianity. And now, when we talk about the cross, we're not just talking about Jesus' death, his execution upon the cross. We're also talking about his resurrection. If you haven't noticed it yet, you'll continue to notice this in the book of Acts, that the key message in the book of Acts is actually the resurrection of Jesus. Everyone knew that this bloke Jesus had been put to death, but his resurrection is what sets him apart from every other crucifixion. Now, what's the significance of Jesus' death? Well, there's a little clue there in verse 30. See there where it says, hanging him on a tree. Hanging him on a tree. We read elsewhere in Scripture that cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, uh, the story of curse in the Bible is a sad story. If you've read any of the Bible, if you've even just started the Bible, you've read a beautiful beginning. In Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, wonderful picture of God the Creator. God who makes creation out of nothing, who speaks things into existence. And out of everything that God made, he made people in a special and unique way. He made us in his image. He made us to know him and to be known by him, to walk with him. Of all the other animals and plants within God's creation, none of them have that integrity. None of them have that dignity bestowed upon them that they can know the one who gives life and breath and everything. It's beautiful, it's good, it's good, it's good, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, a wonderful picture. And yet by Genesis chapter 3, we see that sin comes into the world. And as sin comes into the world, a curse comes into the world. God, the righteous, just, holy, creator God, judges sin. Now sin, what is sin? Again, if you've been around religion and Christianity for a while, you've, you've heard about sin, but I guess there's two big things I like to focus on when we talk about sin, and that is rule-breaking and rule-making. Let me unpack them. Rule-breaking is the whole idea of breaking God's rules. He says, do this, and you don't do that. Nah, not going to do it. He says, don't do that, and you're like, well, he said, don't, so I will. Here's God's standard, here's God's rules, here's God's commandments, break them, rule breaking. But I think the deeper heart issue behind sin is actually not rule breaking, it's rule making. That's the the whole attitude of rebellion that I'm going to live as if there is no God. I'm going to set up my own system for living. I'm going to be God, I don't care about God, I'm not going to make time for God because I'm in charge, I rule, I reign. You see, that's the heart of sin, is is not just the breaking of God's rules, it's setting ourselves up as if there is no God and we make up our own rules. The good news of Christianity is that even though all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, there is but one who has come. His name is Jesus and he has lived the perfect life. There is, no one, there is no one else of whom it can be said he was without sin but Jesus. Jesus lived the life we failed to live. And then at the cross, he took on the curse. As he's nailed to that tree, he takes on our sin. 
As he dies on the cross, he takes the judgment that we rightly deserve for our rebellion and disobedience against God. He takes it all. I still remember uh, in grade seven in our science class getting taught how to use a magnifying glass. I wasn't good at science. I was better at kind of the humanities and English and whatnot. So this isn't a particularly good scientific description. But we, we got given a magnifying glass and the teacher said, now class, go outside and Grab the magnifying glass and with the sun, grab a leaf from a tree and write your name. Right? Has anyone ever done something like that before? People written their names good? Well, because there's more things you can do with a magnifying glass than just write your name. You can, um, you can find an ant and you can shine that magnifying glass above it. And you can kind of fry it and it gets that dead ant smell. That was fun. You can also then kind of go, wait, hang on, hang on. Let's, let's see if I can hold my hand here long enough without my friend realising it and see if I can get a sharp, stinging sensation upon their leg, right? And if you really want to go further, you get two other friends to pin that person down so their leg really will not be moving so you can make sure they can feel the heat from that sun through that magnifying glass. Now, the magnifying glass works like this. Here's the glass bit, right? Can everyone see the glass bit? Uh, and the glass kind of says, hey, son... <laughs> Hey, ultraviolet rays, come at me. And, uh, and then what happens as it passes through the glassy bit is it focuses down onto one point generating so much heat that you can, you can write your name in a leaf, you can fry an ant, you can burn your friend's leg. I'm not condoning those things this morning, okay? I'm not condoning those things. But what I want you to imagine, though, is a massive magnifying glass. That as Jesus dies on the cross, it's as if there's a massive magnifying glass above him. And poured out through that magnifying glass is not sun and ultraviolet rays. We read that there was no sun, that it had gone dark as Jesus was on the cross. But the emphasis in the Gospels, the biographies about Jesus, is that as Jesus dies on the cross, the great pain of what's going on is that Jesus is bearing the wrath of God. So focus down onto his head, onto his shoulders, onto his being. In that moment in time and space and history is what we deserve for our sin, is what we deserve for our rebellion against God. Focus down upon him. He dies the death that we deserve. He takes the curse upon himself. He pays the penalty for our sin and dies the death that was reserved for us. But more than that, what does the book of Acts do for us and what does the gospel, do the gospels do for us? They, they emphasize, well, that happened. That's significant. But death could not hold him down. Jesus rose Again, Jesus conquered the grave and Jesus' resurrection proves that when he says at the cross, it is finished, he wasn't lying. He really has paid it all. He really has paid the penalty for our sin. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. He has defeated Satan. And as Jesus was raised from the dead, as his tomb is empty, so will we be raised. So will our tombs be empty if our trust, our hope, our faith, our belief, our life is in him. That's good news, yeah? But that's not the end of the gospel. That's point one. The cross. Point two of this short little gospel outline is the crown. The crown. Have a look at verse 31. 
God exalted Jesus at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Jesus is exalted. After Jesus' resurrection, he spent some more time with his disciples and then he ascended back to his Father in heaven. And Jesus is the one who has the highest name. Jesus is the one here described as the leader. Jesus is the one here described as the saviour. The position of right hand, he is uh, the one who is in the position of ruling. Jesus rules, Jesus reigns, he has the crown, he is the king, he is in charge. And so what is the response in that verse there? The response is a response of repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is a change in mind and a change in behavior. I still remember that the uh, first time I came to the US was three years ago uh, and I was in Dallas and I was driving a car. Uh, I was seated on the incorrect side of the car and I was driving on the incorrect side of the road compared to how we do it in most of the rest of the world. Uh, And there's one particular night in Dallas, when there was traffic, I wasn't too bad at driving. (laughs) Uh, I could kind of tell that I was... Which way do you drive? You drive on the right. I, I could tell that I was supposed to be on the right-hand side of the road because of all the other cars. But this one particular night, uh, driving in, um, in Flower Mound, Dallas, Texas, there weren't many cars on the road. And so I just kind of went back to what I normally do, and, and I'm driving on the left-hand side of the road, on the wrong side of the road. And I see a car in the distance, and I whoa, I'm on the wrong side of the road. He's on the wrong side of the road. No, I realised it was me that was on the wrong side of the road. And, and what did I need to do as quickly as possible? I needed to kind of go, how do I turn around and go back the correct way? In Australia, we call that chucking a yui. Has anyone ever heard that before? Chuck a yui, mate. Yeah, mate, just chuck a yui. Like my mate Daniel from the start, chuck a yui. Uh, It's a U-turn, chucking a U-turn. You're going one way and you turn around to chuck a U-y. Repentance is kind of that picture though, right? Repentance is that whole, oh my goodness, I am going the wrong way. I need to turn about and go the right way. I need to repent and, and, and repentance involves this change in attitude, but then also it's not enough just to recognize my need that I'm on the wrong side of the road. It actually requires a change in action. And the good news of the gospel is that as we repent, as we turn from sin and turn towards Christ, did you see what verse 31 said? It says that we have forgiveness of sins. It's good news. Can you hear what Jesus is offering this morning? He is offering forgiveness of sin, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've had done to you. The exalted Jesus offers forgiveness to all, all without exception, all who turn from sin to trust the Saviour. Now, here's the thing. We don't earn our forgiveness by our repentance. Verse 31 even describes repentance as a gift from God. But repentance is how we receive what Christ has already done for us. I want to ask you this morning, have you turned to Christ Have you found the forgiveness that is on offer through his death and his resurrection? Because that will be evidenced by repentance. Because there's some of you here going, I've heard this Jesus stuff, death, yep, resurrection, yep, got that. 
But perhaps that, that life of repentance and of changed attitude and action, belief and behavior is not yet evidenced within your life. Have you found that liberating freedom and forgiveness that is on offer through Christ and Christ alone? Perhaps this morning this is only starting to make sense. Uh, if you'd love to chat about that and talk further, I'd love to talk with you after church this morning. Uh, Josiah and Ryan, I'm sure, likewise, would love to talk with you, perhaps about what it might even look like to become a Christian, to actually take that first step of repentance, of receiving the gift of God in Christ Jesus. The final point in their three-point gospel outline, number one, cross, number two, crown, number three, commission. Number three, commission. The, the mission that Jesus has given them, that they are to continue in it. Have a look at verse 32. It says, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Uh, John Stott, uh, um, commentator on this passage, he says this, moreover, of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the apostles were witnesses, not just, I love this, not just eyewitnesses, but mouth witnesses, for they were called to bear witness to what they had seen. They have seen with their eyes everything that's spoken of in verse 30 and 31. And so they speak with their mouths. And, and the good news is they're not alone, right? They can be bold in this moment. It's bold. It really is. They can be bold in this moment because the Holy Spirit is with them. They can be bold in this moment because God is with them. God is dwelling in them by his spirit, empowering them as witnesses of Jesus Christ. You see, being on mission was a matter of obedience for the apostles. They were commanded to share this message. And they have a unique position in history as the apostles that were commissioned by Christ to share this message. But what about us? We haven't got that direct commandment from Jesus before he ascended. Are we commanded to be on mission like them? Well, not directly. But I'd suggest indirectly, of course we are commanded to be on mission. As they were commanded to teach all that Christ had taught them to the next generation of disciples who would teach that to the generation after, to the generation after, to the generation after, to the generation after. Surely that would include being on mission. <laughs> It's the faithfulness and the obedience of God's people on that mission, on that co-mission, that means we've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ today. It didn't stay with the apostles. It didn't stay with the first generation. It kept spreading like a, a virus. It kept being made known, kept being made known, kept being made known. And the reality is that's the logic of the cross and the crown. When you see and behold what Christ has done, we may not see it with physical eyes, but as we read scripture, we can hear it. We can see it with spiritual eyes. We can see what Christ has accomplished. When we see that he is the one who rules and reigns and he calls for our allegiance, he calls us to submit to him as our king, it will always lead to making it known. It will always lead to commission. And so this is news that must be made known today, regardless of the cost. We've begun with the question of how do we face, how do we respond in the face of opposition? The first thing we've seen is we keep witnessing. And what a beautiful picture of the cross, the crown, the commission that those apostles were able to stand boldly in in the first century. But secondly, and, and more briefly, we keep worshipping. 
Keep witnessing and keep worshipping. You see, as well as being witnesses, we are those who live lives that would bring praise and glory and honour to Jesus, our King. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our joy. He is worthy of our rejoicing. He is worthy of everything that we've got, we give to him. We lift him up. We exalt his name. He is high and lifted up. What would it look like for him to be high and lifted up within our lives? Acts chapter 5, verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. Now, we won't reread the whole section there from verse 34 down uh, to verse 39, but what we see in in there is is we see this kind of a a hold up. Let's check ourselves for a moment here. There's one fella, Gamaliel. He's a Pharisee and he says, wait, hang on, let's not kill him yet. Let's just see if this thing dies out. Because if it's not of God, it'll die out is kind of the principle that he says there. And and so they're, they're ready to kill the apostles there and then. But what happens Pick it up halfway through verse 39. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. We're going to let you go free, but we're going to beat the pulp out of you first. Uh, It's most probable that they received the 40 lashes minus one. The 39 lashes, the cat of nine tails. Look it up on Wikipedia to see how brutal the cat of nine tails was and, and have that whipped into their backs 39 times and lacerations and, and, and exposed flesh, perhaps even broken bones. And that was kind of normal. And this, this come on, apostles, we've told you to stop. You kept going. We've told you to stop again. You kept going in front of our faces. Well, we're going to let you go. But we're going to beat the heck out of you first, that's surely going to stop them in their tracks, right? Look at the crazy response. Verse 41 is one of the bizarrest things if you don't know Jesus. Then they left the presence of the council, crying, upset, and they decided to hide away for the next 20 years in Boca. Sorry, I just went, wanted to go to Boca. Now, what does it say? Then they left the presence of the council. Oh, if you've got a pen or a smart device, highlight that next word. Rejoicing? Are you kidding me? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Have you ever heard of something as crazy as that? No, I, um, I had a, a wisdom tooth taken out a couple of weeks ago. And my dentist is like, is that painful? And I'm like, yes, and I love it. <laughs> Who does that? I love pain. Is it that they love pain? It's not that they love pain itself. It's that they would be considered worthy to suffer dishonor for Jesus. That they love Jesus more than life itself. Is they love Jesus more than the pain of the lacerations on their back. This is worship. 
This is worship in the midst of what would, for many cases, this is the lowest of low. This is the most difficult time in their lives. And yet they can see that Jesus is worthy of their worship, that it brings greater joy knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus means that this is momentary. This is temporary. This pain of the lacerations on their back and the beating and the disgrace is but for a moment, but lifts up the name of Jesus. And so they will lift up the name of Jesus. They will rejoice in Jesus. They will trust in Jesus. They will live a life where where the people who've just whipped them cannot believe. What has happened to these men? How is it possible that they could be joyful in such a painful moment? You see, in the midst of keeping on witnessing, they keep on worshipping, rejoicing, being glad that they know Jesus and are known by Jesus. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you would consider me worthy to suffer so shamefully and horribly and painfully for your name. And remember, Jesus actually says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's actually the pattern of the Christian life that suffering comes before glory. That, 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 that pain comes before being raised. It's actually the normal pattern of Christianity for the last 2,000 years. Now, the Apostle Paul even says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that if anyone wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. Now, persecution doesn't stop us. Can't stop, won't stop. We keep praising, we keep worshipping, we keep hoping all the more in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I invite Josiah out to, uh, to play some more music in a moment, um, I want to close with a story of uh, a man that I met earlier this year, uh, a friend of ours that we've supported in Nepal as a missionary. Uh, got married, and so Rowena and I uh, had the privilege of travelling to Nepal, uh, a, a city just outside of Kathmandu in Nepal, to go to their wedding. Uh, and I got to meet a pastor. His name's Pastor Grishma. Uh, he's from a Hindu family, uh, and... Um, 30 years ago, when he became a Christian, Christianity was illegal. Uh, Christianity is about to become illegal again by the looks of things. But he'd found out, he was a, he was a fairly confident and a fairly um, devout Hindu, and he'd found out that there were Christian medical workers at the local hospital, missionaries who'd been sent there. And he found out about these Christian medical workers who were running Bible studies, and he was angry. And so he had told the government, who he knew would also be angry, and the government said, do you know any of their names? And he said, look, I don't know any. And so the government said, look, can you, um, can you infiltrate? Can you get in there as a spy? Can you learn their names? And, and then we'll take them down. However, in the process, what happened as this spy entered into these Christian Bible studies? They loved him. They were worshippers, right? They loved him. They welcomed him. And, and, and he was struck by the message of Jesus. He was compelled by the Bible. And so they gave him a New Testament. He took it home. He began reading it. And he became a Christian by the time he was in the Sermon on the Mount. If you know the New Testament, that's the fifth chapter. He put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And since then, his life was turned upside down. 
He is someone that has devoted his life to witnessing and to worshipping and part of making Jesus known. He's a pastor of a church with over a thousand people having a, a big impact in his particular region. But here's the thing. Becoming a Christian cost Pastor Grishma his family. He got disowned by his extended Hindu family. And yet talking to him, he presses on with joy. Knowing that as painful as it is, is to be rejected by your family, he is known and welcomed by his saviour. And so he continues to worship. He continues to make Jesus known regardless of the cost. That's where we conclude in verse 42 is just that pattern of ongoing worship and ongoing witness of the early church that's continued to this day in places like Nepal, in places like Brisbane, in places like Orlando. Verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Brothers and sisters, continue to give yourself to the Lord. Continue to give yourself to the teaching and preaching of the word in public, in the temple or the church or the YMCA. Continue to give yourself in the private, house to house. That kind of sounds like a church strategy, right? Meet in a big gathering on a Sunday. Meet week by week, day by day in smaller groups smaller communities to love one another that we would encourage each other to keep being bold witnesses that we'd encourage each other to keep living a life of worship and joy and praise and thanksgiving regardless of the cost how do we respond in the face of opposition the same way our brothers and sisters throughout the world today and for the last 2,000 years have been doing since the time of the apostles we continue to witness and speak of what we have seen and heard in Christ Jesus who died and rose again and we continue to worship as we see that he is better, as we see that he is worthy of our worship. And so Cross Point, let me encourage you to be a witnessing and worshipping community. The good news is your witnessing will help to fuel your worship and your worship will help to fuel further witness and you will have the opportunity in this city to shine brightly. Our church, City on a Hill, is called City on a Hill from the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew chapter 5, where we see that picture of God's people, not just individuals that are saved, but a people that are saved, who gather together, who live radically different from the culture around them, who live brightly and boldly and make known Jesus with their words and make known Jesus with their witness. Brothers and sisters, this is your opportunity. This is your moment. This is your mission field. Regardless of the cost, let us pray that this message of Christ would continue to go viral. In our own hearts, in the lives of the people around us, in this church, in this city, in this nation, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are at work among us. We are so thankful that you've made yourself known. And Father, we ask that you'd help us to be those who continue to make you known to others. Impress upon us right now the, the people in our own lives, our colleagues, our classmates, our family members, our neighbours, those that we can be bold. We pray for your Holy Spirit's filling that we would be boldly sent out from this place today to make Jesus known. 
And Father, may we be a a worshipping community and be those who rejoice even in the hardest of trials because we are known by Jesus and He is worthy of worship on the good days and on the difficult days. Father, I thank you for the encouragement of my brothers and sisters and ask that they would stand firm in this gospel message of Jesus and His death and His resurrection. And Father, may you have an incredible impact through this church. We know that you are the God who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, so we pray for big things through this church. We pray for big things through the witness and the worship of this church for the sake of this city and for the sake of your holy name. And it's in your holy name and your son's name that we all pray.